What up, everybody? Welcome to Spiritual Side Note. It is so good to be with you. We are back from our Labor Day vacation. Uh, we got to go to Missouri for a family reunion on Haley's side, Haley's dad's side. So um, we're back in Michigan. We are actually outside at a bonfire. Ooh, it just got real hot. Real hot. Uh, threw a little cardboard on it, trying to get rid of some cardboard. So uh, yeah, if you hear all the ambient noise behind us, that's what that is, where we are outside on this September evening. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, Hot and bright. Well, it's... My uh, eyes hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Don't stare at it. It's like the sun. Hurt my eyes. But it is awesome to be with you guys. Um, Tonight, we are going to be talking about uh, what it means to be a part of the remnant. And Hayley's going to explain a little bit more what that means. But her and uh, one of our students, Cadence TD, are talking about the remnant this weekend at church. Um, they're pre- co-preaching together, which is really exciting, um, and they're going to be talking about the remnant. And so, um, yeah, Hayley's going to take it away. Cool. Do you want me to just talk, and you can like stop me and ask questions, or yeah, that sounds good. Do do? Okay. So we started the sermon series um, in quote big church, as we like to call it in Kid Zone, uh, three or four weeks ago now, um, called the remnant. And uh, several weeks ago, when we knew we would be doing a next-gen weekend, we do this once a year at Impact, where we really just kind of target um, the next generation in a service. And this year, we really wanted the next generation to be a part of putting the service on. So, like, having a lot of kids and teens do, like, the band and the singing and... Um, Cadence is a high schooler and she'll be teaching with me. So while Cadence and I were sitting and chatting about like what we could talk about and the remnant aspect came up, um, it was awesome, honestly, just because Cadence just kind of immediately jumped on board with the things that she was learning and, um, excuse me, like we actually started talking about a piece we're not even going to be using in the sermon this weekend, but she was reading in Numbers at the time, which I love, by the way. We have a high schooler reading the Old Testament, which is just phenomenal. Um, Yeah, it's cool. And how she loved God's presence with the people in the wilderness, God's people, Israel. And he was, like, present in a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And I remember, I actually did a sermon on this. This was my senior sermon in college. I don't know if you remember this, babe. Vaguely. Um... And talking about how when God would go, Israel would go. And when they would stay, when he would stay, they would stay. And God never told the people, at least biblically speaking, like within scripture, this isn't necessarily recorded that, hey, we're going to be here three months, like settle in or three days. Like the cloud or the pillar of fire would move at various times. And Israel just had to be ready to follow God whenever he was ready to go and to stay. Um, and just that incredible like faith and trust and the the active intentional following. Um, that is where like our whole conversation began and just kind of spun from there. And we ended up talking a lot about Daniel, the book of Daniel, and specifically the first three chapters that include um, ha- Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, which Ooh. is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, with the Hebrew names there. Yeah. Today when we were practicing, actually, I called half of them their Hebrew names and the other half <laughs> their Babylonian names. Wait, 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 wait. There's three of them. How'd you call half of them? Well, because I included Daniel. Oh. So here's, I, I just kind of wanted to talk through some of the biblical context of why Cadence and I chose 
Daniel, and then talk about what that means today. Um, in the context of being a remnant? Yeah, in the context yeah. of being God's people, a remnant, a chosen, holy, set-aside group of people that is willing and ready to abandon everything for the sake of Jesus and to be his disciple and to do, um, to actively participate in these disciplines of being a disciple. So Daniel and his buddies would have been a part of the next generation. Like they probably were somewhere between like 15 and 18 years of age Hmm. growing up in Israel. So they would have known that they were God's people. They would have been introduced to his covenant. They would have heard, um, parts of the Torah, you know, which is the first five books of the old Testament. Um, and probably other aspects of scripture from the old Testament. And just so you know, like when you're looking at your quote, normal Bible, it is not actually delegated in chronological order, meaning like the way that the Old Testament is situated in the canon that we typically have here, um, present day here, like the, like Job was actually probably written before Genesis, if I'm not mistaken. That doesn't mean that Job happened before Genesis, but that it was actually recorded on a scroll before Genesis would have been recorded on a scroll. So, but Job doesn't occur until like in the latter part of the old, or no, 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 it's about middle of the Old Testament. Anyway, I'm just saying that because that, just because Daniel is later in the Old Testament does not mean that he wouldn't have had access to some of the other parts of the Old Testament or like, I just want to put that in reference because I think sometimes when I'm reading through the Bible, I forget that these things aren't actually happening in this order. So then I get confused as to like why this is being said when, like, let's say in the book of Isaiah, when I just read this like two books ago, um, this had already happened or whatever, like just pull back for a little bit and recognize that there are things, um, that we just see as quote normal that aren't actually, um, cause it's like become normal, like reading through the old Testament Genesis through Malachi or Micah, sorry, Malachi, cool. Micah, Micah is the last book no. of the old Testament. No. Malachi? Malachi. Malachi. Yep. That felt weird when I said it. Um, but that there's just, there's an ebb and flow that would, exist a bit differently if you actually read it in the chronological order of which it was supposed to be written. Um, that was just a bit of a side note for you. Spiritual side note. Spiritual side note. Sorry, I get kind of geeky about biblical context stuff. That was just a a golden nugget. Okay, anyway. Daniel. Daniel. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been in Israel. Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon at this time came into Israel and took part of Israel into exile. Now, just so you know, this had been predicted because God's covenant with his people was, I'm your God and you are my people and you choose to obey me. I don't demand that you obey me. I'm not forcing you into relationship with me. But when you enter into this covenant with me, the promise is that I will bless you. And now that might not look the way we think it will look, But if you choose to disobey, there will be consequences for those actions as well. And those consequences were usually that Israel was taken over or put into exile. And then they would cry out to God and he would rescue them. And then the cycle would start over. So this shouldn't have been a surprise to Israel because God had sent many prophets to prepare Israel. Like if you don't turn, 
from these wicked ways, from the ways in which you are disobeying me and worshiping other gods, then these things will happen. So the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, comes over, takes over Israel, takes a section back, this remnant, this set-aside group of people, and Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah would have been a part of that group, that remnant, that set-aside group of people. But here's what was interesting as I was learning about this, is that the Assyrians would have come in and, like, tortured you into submission, like, mm. chained you up and taken you, whipped you, like, that kind of thing. Babylon was all about seduction. It was, like, the most magnificent city that has probably ever existed to date, really. Um, huge, thick walls, like, these... They actually were able to divert the U river Euphrates around it to create a moat and through it to create life. So, like, they were, like, protected. They had, like, so many gates around the city, so many towers, and inside was absolutely gorgeous. Like, these structures, and not just gorgeous, like, physically, but the intellect was out of this world. Like, the thing, there are certain pagan things that existed in Babylon that we still use today. Like all occult practice can be traced back to ancient Babylon, which is kind of crazy. Um, this city has had just like remarkable effects that have gone on for generations and generations and generations. Well, and wasn't it the, the hanging gardens, King Nebuchadnezzar's hanging gardens, one of the wonders of the world? Yeah, was it, was he the one with hanging gardens? I thought it was him. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I thought it was his wife, but I thought he built it or designed it for his wife. Uh, maybe. I didn't do research on that part, but we should look that up. Um, but yeah, it, was, it would have been absolutely gorgeous. So they bring you into this city that is magnificent. They give you a new name because names were super important. Your name meant something. And these guys who came from Israel had names that all had to do with God, the one God, Yahweh. Now, in the book of Daniel, Daniel is consistently called Daniel. Um, Belteshazzar was his new name, and he's called that a couple of times. But really, we still see him as Daniel throughout the book. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those became their Babylonian names. And they're then referred to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we don't hear from them again after chapter 3, which is kind of interesting. But these four guys are taken... They're put into this like training program for King Nebuchadnezzar and told by the head of the eunuchs, hey, um, you need to eat all of this food from the king's table. It's super rich. It is super good. Like this is what you need to eat. And we're also going to indoctrinate you into all of these like incredible Babylonian things and mindsets. And then after about a year is when they would go into the service of the king. So these guys have been given new names. They're being led by the head of the eunuchs. We're not specifically told biblically, but it is probable that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were then made into eunuchs, meaning you were castrated, you were demasculinized in order to protect the royal seed because they didn't want any dirty seed potentially entering into the royal line. So their manhood was stripped from them. They would probably never see their families again. And it would have been super easy to just kind of abandon all hope, especially at 15 to 18. Just like, okay, this is my new way of life, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'll eat whatever's put in front of me. I'll learn all these things. This place is beautiful. And what we find out kind of towards the um, end of the Old Testament when Nehemiah goes back to build the wall, because this would have been actually around the same time-ish, like, I mean, there are decades in between 
the beginning of Daniel and when they go back to build the wall. But Daniel probably, I believe, was still alive when they went back to build the wall and he couldn't go. He would have been like so old at that time. But what we find out is that actually even fewer than the remnant that was taken from Israel in the first place went back to Israel. And that's probably because they had put down roots in this Babylonian culture and forgotten who they really were. And like God, their relationship, their covenant with God was not important enough to leave what they had created in this new Babylonian culture. Except, I mean, there's probably more than just these guys, but Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the ear of the king of Babylon, who was the most powerful person in the world at that time. And they go into this training program and they are told to eat these foods, but they would have known their covenant with God and known that these foods had been sacrificed to other idols. And so they stand up with this boldness. And Daniel in particular and says, hey, um, how about me and my buddies, we eat the way we're supposed to eat, according to their covenant with God. Um, that's, you know, vegetables and grains. And then compares to the other guys after a certain amount of time. I think it was something like 10 days. And after that certain amount of time, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were actually stronger. They looked better than the other guys. So then the other guys had to do what we now call the Daniel fast, but eat grains and vegetables. All this rich food was taken away because these guys were bold enough to stand up and say, this isn't right. We know where we come from. And then, in ch so that's like chapter one. Chapter two of Daniel, we see King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he calls all of the wise men, the magicians, and the counselors of Babylon to himself. And if this is the most powerful king in the world, if the intellect is above anything anyone else in the world knows at this time, that means that these wise guys are the wisest in the world at this point in time. And they cannot tell King Nebuchadnezzar what he wants to know. Because he says, I'm not telling you my dream. You have to tell me my dream so I know you're not making up a meaning. And then tell me the meaning or I'm killing every wise man in Babylon. And these wise men and magicians say, "We that's a crazy request. No one could do that. And that, that infuriates King Nebuchadnezzar. So he goes to kill all the wise men. But Daniel comes before him and says, wait, will you give me time? So then he calls his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to himself and says, pray. Pray that our God will give me wisdom and discernment and favor. And so they, they separate and pray, and God does. He reveals what King Nebuchadnezzar's dream was to Daniel and then gives him the meaning, and Daniel goes back and tells the king. And the king is, like, amazed. And that point in time would have been super easy for Daniel, especially as this young kid, to be like, yes, that was all me. But he worships God, gives him praise, sings this song, actually, and within this song, there are 12 references. It's only four verses long. It's in chapter 2, starting verse 20. It's uh, four verses long, but 12 references to the Old Testament scriptures, which just goes to show that Daniel had God's word written on his heart, mm -hmm. the word that he would have had access to at that time, and that it went with him when he went. Because um, he would have had no longer would have he have had access to the temple. Um, and God's Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was assigned to certain people, but people in general didn't have access to the Holy Spirit the way that we do now. So God's word, his truth, his covenant was written onto Daniel's heart. So much so it just became a part of his natural prayer process, which is remarkable. So then we see these guys like totally amaze the king and the king puts them over all of Babylon. Kind of reminds me of the story of Joseph, actually. He puts them over all of Babylon and then enter chapter three. So chapter three is when King Nebuchadnezzar, um, builds a statue that 
It was probably of himself. We're not exactly sure what it was. But because in uh, chapter 2, he had had a dream that included his head on this statue, it's probable that he built a statue trying to resemble the dream that he had. And this thing was like an obelisk, like super tall, really thin. And he made this command that everyone had to bow down when they heard all this music. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no. And some other guys turned them in, and the king was furious. And he had uh, this fernery fire, as Athelia likes to call it, <laughs> um, set up to be seven times hotter than normal. It was so hot that the guys who went to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in it were burned up, which is just bizarre. But what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did that like infuriated the king so much is when he questioned them. And the king, you can tell he's built like a relationship with these guys because he actually has grace with them. Because he initially said, like, whoever doesn't do this, I'm throwing into the fire. But he gives them another chance. He's like, listen, when you hear it again, just bow down. And they said no. And they said, our God is willing and able to save us from this kind of death. But even if he doesn't, he's still God and he's still good. And we won't bow down. And the king was livid, throws them into the fire. And anyone who know the story, knows the story then knows like they weren't burned up. Not a hair on their head was touched. They didn't even smell like smoke. And when the king looked into the fire, there were four in there. One who looked like the son of God or sons of God. But really, we believe that was Jesus. Like this, man, Jesus came to be in the fire with these guys. This remnant, these young dudes who were faced with death multiple times within the first three chapters of Daniel. So probably within three or four years, like faced with death more than once. And they just gave up everything for the sake of the covenant that they had with this God, the God of Israel. Like that's incredible to me. Um, their faithfulness, their intentionality, their perseverance, their boldness to say no to the seduction of what this Babylon was, to what the idea would have been to like, man, just do this, just bow down. I can repent later. I can confess later. But just saying no, knowing it was absolutely against the have no other gods before me that they had been taught. Um, so that just looking, looking at that, like, how does that stem to us today? Well, I feel like we live in a sort of Babylon like this world, this culture we live in wants to, wants to seduce us into a place that says like, do what you feel. Your truth is your truth. Bow down to whatever. And I think we have really watered down the gospel. Um, so Athalia calls goggles, like for, you know, swimming in the pool, gospels. And it really hit me because she just started doing that this summer. That that was like one of the most real and incredible pictures of what people actually do, that they take the quote gospel and they put it on whatever color, whatever size they want. And that's fine. Like that's what I'm going to see through. But the gospel isn't made to be worn in different colors, different shades, different sizes. It is one truth and it is the truth. But we all like to wear our own gospels. But in order to like actually be a part of the remnant, God has created us to be this chosen, holy, set-aside group of people. We have to know the actual gospel. So you have to be in the word. Like You have to know what's really true. 
And you have to choose to believe it. And not just like the parts and the pieces you want to believe. And I'm not saying that the word isn't confusing sometimes. Like I feel confused often, but I know that God is good. And I know that he is constant and consistent. And I know his word says like it's moving, breathing and active and it doesn't return void. It's always teaching me. But in order for me to know the truth I'm supposed to be living in as the remnant, the truth I'm supposed to be embodying as an image bearer of God in this Babylon I live in, I have to be in the word. I have to know him in order to know who it is I'm following. And then that's the other part is like acting on it. So we have to know it and we have to believe it and we have to act on it because we're all going to be producing fruit. And it, the, the question is really, what kind of fruit are we bearing? Is it going to be full of death or full of life? Because the actions that we have, the words that we say, they're all a symbol of what we really believe. And if we're really going to believe like real truth in order to bear actual fruit of the Spirit, fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us, we have to be willing to deny ourselves, to die to our flesh, pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. And then Jesus says to even begin to be my disciple before you can begin to be my, my disciple, you have to renounce everything, which is um, declaring one's abandonment of a claim, a right, or a possession, meaning giving up everything, everyone, every dream, every desire, every coping mechanism, every feeling, everything, and laying it at the foot of the cross. And when we like abandon everything, we can't just leave that, that empty because something will fill that spot. So we have to invite the Holy Spirit in to fill that spot and to lead us into each of the places he wants us to be, to be bold and full of his power and authority in the name of Jesus, to live out the truth of the actual real gospel in this Babylon today. Because I think like the kind of seduction I think that we live in is like, hey, do this, like watch all the TV you want to watch or listen to all the music you want to listen to or sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Like we just kind of take on this do whatever you feel attitude and that's not biblical. And Jesus never said it would be easy to follow him. In fact, I think it gets harder. I think we've talked about that before on one of our episodes. Like it gets harder because you look less and less like the world, but it's the most full life. It's the most freeing life I've ever experienced to like learn to die to myself and abandon everything. And I'm not great at it. And man killing my flesh is the hardest thing ever. But like to choose, to choose to stand up for what's true, even if you're faced with death, to invite your friends into praying with and for you, like being a part of a community is hugely important in the remnant. And that doesn't mean we're siloing ourselves off as the community, but we encourage, exhort each other into doing what's right, to reading God's word, to being in conversation with him by listening to him and his voice and talking to him and then going out and serving and loving and coming back in and keeping each other accountable and going out like we're meant to be in community and we just see that really consistently in the first two to three chapters of Daniel how these guys are in community with one another that's huge to be a part of the remnant to call each other out and to be willing to be called out we really don't like that part but it's necessary to be living in the real, true gospel. So this idea of like the remnant has just been, it's been kind of exciting um, this last week and, and convicting because I feel mm. like it's super easy to just kind of do whatever you want. Or even today I, in prayer, I was like, God, Shay and I talk about this a lot. I'm like wanting to take every decision before the Lord 
And I have found myself this week not wanting to do that because I don't want to know his answer because I just want to do what I want. Mm. Like, can I buy this shirt? I don't even want to ask that question because I just want the shirt. But like when I just try to quote bypass God's voice in my life, all I'm doing is actively disobeying and separating myself from him. And so even if I don't feel like asking, I need to. So I'm practicing surrender and submission and humility before the God of the universe because it's not about me. It's about him. It's about living and surrender to him, to his lordship and living an other centered life and just giving up everything, man, everything. That's really hard, including the people, excuse me, I love the most, you know, like releasing our kids to him or my spouse to him or my family members to him or our home, like our tree got struck with lightning a few weeks ago and it's dying. So pieces of it are falling off and it's massive y'all like it's probably at least twice, if not two and a half times as tall as our house. It's huge. It, it might be three times, three times. It's close to three times anyway. Um, and this has just been a really active, tangible example to me of trust and giving up things is like that tree could have always fallen on the house, but now that it's actively dying has this new thing in my head. Like, God, you know that we need parts of that removed and that we're not on just our timetable, but other people's timetables. Um, and just giving up everything to him, knowing like he'll protect our family in the way that he sees fit. And I believe that he is willing and able to keep that tree up as long as it needs to be up. And even if he doesn't, he's still God and he's still good. But I can trust him with my kids' lives. I can trust him with Shapin's life. And like, just know that he'll... He'll do what he wants. Um, anyway, I feel like that was kind of all over the place, but those are just some really big pieces of the things that Cadence and I were uncovering and that we'll be talking about this weekend that have just really set with me. Like, am I actually living as a part of the remnant? Do I look different than this Babylon I'm living in? Or am I, am I just covering myself up with all the things that feel good around me, that feel cozy and comfortable? When really those things might fill me for a hot second, but then I feel more empty than I did when I started. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of... Well, and I don't think your thoughts were all over the place. <clears throat> um, it felt fluid. Mm. I mean, obviously you were talking about a biblical context for a while and then bringing it here, but um, it all correlated. Uh, so the question, or I guess questions um, coming off of that is, yeah. you talked about how you feel like we've watered down the gospel. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you mean like in general, like across churches in America, like the preaching has watered down the gospel or if you more mean like in conversation, like maybe people preach the gospel, but we don't live it out. We've all kind mm. of interpreted it in a watered down way or we just kind of like, like you said, like take the parts that we want and, and retrofit it to our wants and desires mm -hmm. without receiving the whole truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually changing ourselves to fit the gospel rather than yes. vice versa. Um, anyways, but you talk about the watering down aspect, but then you talk about this idea of humility and accountability to be able to be humble enough to be called out, mm -hmm. um, but also to call out others. So I guess my first question is like, with somebody who's a believer then, how do we call out? How do we call out the remnant to live like the remnant, if there's something that we truly see that doesn't align with scripture. Now, mm -hmm. granted, obviously Paul talks about some eat meat, some don't eat meat. Um, 
you know, and so there's different personal convictions that God might be asking us to do individually mm-hmm. um, that aren't imposed on other people or vice versa. But but those things that are just biblical truths, how do we call people out and how do we make that statement without with, with being a, or with having the pure desire to hold them accountable and not to make them feel condemned by any stretch? But how do you feel like we do that? Sorry, I was trying to figure out what your um, baseline question was. So, how do we call people out? I remember. Um, um, Christians. How do we call Christians, the Christ followers right. out? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to make that very clear first. That, like, we don't just go around calling everybody out. Because if people aren't claiming Christ, they're not held accountable to us or to God's word. Now, in the, in the end, whoever doesn't choose Jesus as the way, the truth, the life, and surrender to his lordship... They will be held accountable mm, yeah. by God, their their judge. But we're not called to judge anyone but our brothers and sisters, and not judgmentalism, but to judge. Hey, what you're doing right now, like you're killing yourself a little bit inside. Like you're living in a sin cycle. Um, and first, I would say it's prayer, like praying for that person that you sense. Like, God, I just sense this in them, and I could be wrong. But first, give me wisdom and discernment to know how to pray for them. Um, and then give me wisdom and discernment to know what to say and when to say it, how to say it, if I'm to say anything at all. And sometimes when I've entered into that, um, I would say specifically with you, when I've maybe sent something, sometimes I'm wrong. And it's actually me that God wants to convict when I want to say something like, actually, Haley, you're just expecting too much. At other times... As I'm praying for you, he actually convicts you without me stepping in all and says something to you that you actually bring up to me that maybe God's even been talking to you about for a while. We just haven't talked about it. Mm-hmm. And then there are times where I'm at peace when I feel like God's like, now is the time to say something. Um, so I think, one, it's just going to God, asking his Holy Spirit for leading and guiding. I also think we have to be in the Word because... If we're not in the word, we're not going to know what we're supposed to be holding people accountable to. Yeah. And it's really easy to, I think, at least for me, tilt into wanting to hold people accountable to my personal convictions mm. that are not necessarily biblical convictions. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just that has to be open-handedly surrendered as well. Like, Jesus, show me how you would handle this situation with this person. Yeah. Um, because sometimes we're supposed to be silent and just be praying an intercessory prayer for people who actually aren't at the place where they can hear something anyway right now. They just need to be in surrender and submission to the Holy Spirit and just like interceding on their behalf. Um, so I think that's a part of it. And then I think, honestly, it's when you sense the Holy Spirit says, now is the time to say something, it's one asking for humility. Because even though people can still act defensive when we humbly come, um, there is a difference between a humility when someone comes to you with something and someone who is brazen and brash and is up in your face. Um, humility is huge. Huge. And sometimes I sense I'm supposed to say something to someone because I've literally been living in it myself. And it's a, man, I'm confessing this to you. But I also maybe see this in you. Can we hold each other accountable? Um, or I've been there before. And so I feel like I sense this that maybe someone else doesn't sense. Like, Shay's never struggled with an eating disorder. So nine times out of 10, I feel like you're not gonna be able to identify an eating disorder Yeah. in some of the more, um, nuanced ways. Mm-hmm. And I can sniff it out like so fast. 
And the thing is, when I sniff it out, and I don't mean that in a prideful way, I just mean I lived in it for so long in so many different parts of my brain, and I still struggle with surrendering all those parts of my brain um, and living in complete freedom. And I think it, it could be something I struggle with the rest of my life, but because I struggled with it, I am aware of certain words and vocabularies and um, life choices and decisions that other people who are struggling with it might not know that that's what they're struggling with. Um, so that doesn't mean I go around like calling people out, but just asking that God shows me how to pray for people and when to say something and what to say. Um, was there, was there a second part to your question I was supposed to answer? So the second part to my question, uh, just had to do with like, it was empty. Don't worry. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. Oh. I thought I finished that. I just knocked over my can. Anyways, uh, second part of my question was like, how do we um, how do we hold truth to the gospel when it comes to non-believers? In the sense of like, obviously we can't expect them to hold the biblical truths, um, so it's not necessarily holding them accountable. But like, if somebody says something that goes against the biblical truth, how do we? address that in a way that's like look i'm not expecting you to hold to this because you're not a believer but i don't want you to think that i think that this is okay because like the truth is this you know what i mean like uh, i'm trying to think of a good example if somebody's maybe idolizing something mm -hmm. um they've created an idol in their life whether it's success or money or maybe it's literally like a, a person like um that they just look up to and idolize like how do we address that and just like a Man, I get it. That like that's super easy to idolize something, but man, just for me, there's no other god but God. Or I, I don't know. Like I think there's almost this like this boldness that we can have that is actually attractive to say like, no, I'm I hold true to this stance and the the gospel and this is my ultimate reality. This is what's actual truth. Again, I think that first is surrendered to God show me what to say and when to say it because every every relationship is different um, and hugely I think if I would just think about the ways that Jesus would handle things I think people all people by all people I mean people of all kinds like people who believed in God and were a part of the Israelite covenant were drawn to him religious leaders not all of them because they you know ended up murdering him but some of them, like Nicodemus, were drawn to him. The least, the last, and the lost were drawn to him. People who had no idea who God was were drawn to him. So there was something about his non-anxious, peaceful acceptance, not affirmation of everything, but acceptance and love and grace and freedom and his boldness because he was bold, right? So, and he spoke truth, but I also don't think he went around like, um, hey, let me tell you where you're wrong, right? And I think sometimes we can pendulum swing as the, the church or the body of Christ from one to the other, either saying nothing at all because we don't want to offend or just saying everything we think we have to say. So I think it has to be surrendered. I also think if we're truly living as the remnant, the world around us is going to know something's different about us. 
And that doesn't mean you never put actual lip service to the way that your actions are showing that you're different, but the fruit you're bearing is going to be attractive to other people. Now, not to everyone. Some people are going to be pissed about it. Some people are just mad that when people are kind, you know, or yeah, there's so, there are so many various situations, but ultimately I really think if we're living as the remnant, we're living this real gospel truth that people are going to be drawn to that. And then we just can peacefully and boldly have conversation. Like I've had conversations with people who just know I believe something different than they do. And I don't have to keep saying it every time they bring something up. But also I think good questions are huge. Mm. Like not me always having to say something, but really, why is that? Mm. Like, why do you value that so much? Because if I just go around calling out like, hey, just so you know, like you're totally idolizing that and I love you and I know you don't follow Jesus, but that's killing you a little bit. Like that I think can be sometimes putting off if God has not told me to say that. But asking the question can actually lead those people into this self-discovery, which I think really is the Holy Spirit helping them discover these things that leads them into a place of like, yeah, I do. Why do I care about that so much? Hmm. Where does that come from? What am I looking for my identity in? Um, So questions for me are huge. Just hearing people's stories. And yeah, I felt like in my story that there have been times I'm supposed to boldly say something. And other times I'm just supposed to be quiet and ask the questions. Or like, just respond with, man, that has to feel hard. Man, that has to feel hard. Or honestly, like, can I pray with you? Some people say no. Other people are like, even if I don't believe in God, sure. Like, I appreciate your your faith, even if I don't have that faith. Um, yeah. So, I, again, I just think it has to be totally surrendered to the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and then choosing to be bold in obedience when we sense that, like, now is the time. Because it can also be really easy to be silent because we don't want to, like, offend or make somebody mad or affect a relationship with someone we see every day at work. It can be so much easier to do this when we're like, I might not ever see you again. Mm, yeah. Here person, here's this nugget of truth <laughs> that I think you need versus someone that you might see every day. And how do I open up this awkward conversation that could affect my assembly line? You know, but if that's what God's ushering in you into man, like you got to choose to obey. If You want to reap the benefit and the consequences of that part of the covenant. Um, So, yeah, those are the things that ran through my head. Do you have anything to add? Did you have your own thoughts? Um, I mean, I don't think more than what I shared. Just like there just seems to be this, you know, you mentioned like if I go around and, you know, like, oh, you're creating this idol and I think that's killing you a little bit. That's not what I was meaning because like I said that we're not called to hold other people accountable to if they're non-believers to what the Bible's saying. Yeah. But then you but, said, how do I tell them like you're idolizing that in my God's God? No, no, no. Oh, I didn't say that. I said, um, how do I tell them? Like I get why it's so easy to have an idol, but for me, God is my only God. Like there can't be, you know what I mean? Like how do I make this declarative for me to say like, I understand what you're doing but I'm not, I'm not criticizing you because you're not a Christ follower. So why would you follow anything but what the world's telling you? But just this boldness of like, yeah, I'm a believer and Jesus is my Lord and leader of my life. Like, I don't know, I just think that there's something attractive to, to that at times. 
I think so too. I also, I think maybe I misunderstood what you're saying because you put in the like, I understand how you could idolize that, but if they don't see it as an idol, that part I think, um, what am I trying to say? It almost feels like a finger pointing, even if it's not meant to be that way. I so, guess I wasn't. I, I was assuming that they recognize that because if they're of the world, they don't care if they idolize something. Like, but they might not know it's an idolization. Right? I was basing off the assumption that they knew, like, yes, oh. money is everything, or success and becoming the president of a company is everything, or this person is everything, and I just want to be just like that. Like, that's more what I was meaning. Gotcha. But that part, I think, is, isn't necessarily the important piece. I was just more like, how do we be bold in our stance in a way that when people look at us, they're like, man, that is, that's powerful. Or that's, that's uh, not convicting, but what's uh, enticing. Like something about you and your life and your boldness and your faith is, is enticing to me. Like that's, I don't want to just be passive where people don't know that I'm a believer because I just sit quietly either. Yeah, I think it's that balance and not the pendulum like I mentioned earlier that's either just showing it with your actions or saying all of the things. But that middle ground of like, I feel like I've kind of already said this, but just like talking about it when it is brought up, when you sense I'm supposed to say something right now, while also living it out just in your conversation and not in the sense of like, man, God's my only God because we're particularly particularly talking about what's most important in the world to us right now. But that is a really great place to put it. Like, if you're just talking about that, like, hey, Shay, what's really important to you? You know, or like, what are you doing this weekend? Or what do you, what do you like to do for a hobby? And like, just including God and who he is in those conversations, like, oh, I, I go to church or like, or I mean, for us, it's, we're pastors, like, this is my job. And sometimes that's, that's one of the doorways that I use to like hmm. show people. Yeah. Cause they're like, what do you do? I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor. And some people are like, oh, really cool. And other people like immediately shut down. Hmm. And that's, yeah. that's just a part of the conversation. But I do think if it's like a, a relationship that we're more consistently in, that it is a part of our lives, not in a passive way as in never saying anything, but the fruit we bear, like the peace that we have, that you can't always show in your words, though you, that's a part of it, but it just comes with your presence, mm. right? Where you walk into a place you're like, man, something's different about that person. They're not anxious trying to, like, fix all the things, running around, always on their phone. Like, there's a peaceful, non-anxious presence about them. I just want to be around them. Yeah. That Then they might start asking you questions. Or you ask them a question, like, asking the really good questions. That they ask back to you. Or they're like, hey, man, I'm going to be praying for you this weekend as you do that. Or, hey, I mean, I heard I heard your mom had surgery. Can I, can I pray for her? Um... I just think those things are a part of that boldness. I don't know. I also think every conversation is different and every person is different. And it really is. I think this is just the, at least for me, it's been a constant question in my faith walk. Like, how much do I share and when? 
without tilting into legalism of like, I have to say it all the time or never saying anything at all because it'll be shown in my actions. And if I must, I will use words. But I sounded like I was making fun of that quote and I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but making it a balance, like not, not saying something out of fear, but also like knowing I don't have to say the name of Jesus in every sentence for people to know there's something different about me. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I don't know if I am still not answering your question, but. Well, it was, the last time was less of a question and oh. more of just like a statement of like, that's a hard balance for me to find because oh, I yeah. definitely, I, I definitely am more in the category of said quote of preach the gospel always. And if necessary, use words. Mm-hmm. I think it's St. Francis of Assisi, but I can't remember. Um, but like, but I also don't want to use that as an excuse or justification right. to not say things yeah, or to like, yeah, to just hide away. Like I want to do things, even if it's doing things and not saying things, I want to do things boldly so people know where I stand in the sense of like, there's something different because I'm a Christ follower, not just to stand out. That's not what I'm talking about. It is not about me, but like, um, Yeah. Yeah. Which is so difficult in today's day and age because the other side of that pendulum is, like you said, like saying something all the time or saying your opinion all the time because right. everyone has an opinion. And um, and the problem is like that that's, that's not beneficial either because um, it's not about my opinion. It's about the way that I love and the way, like you said, the peace that I embody and I have. Um, yeah. And actually the, the theme for our students this year is expressing Jesus and specifically focusing on peace and hope because that feels like two of the things that are desperately missing in the world right now. Um, I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, humility and mutual respect and civil disagreement, like all those things are missing too. Um, but just peace to have, um, a peace that surpasses understanding as scripture says, um, and to have the hope of eternal life. Um, and the hope of Jesus in our lives right now, like that just, uh, it's lacking so bad in our world today that, um, like that would be the, or those two things would be, um, some key characteristics of a remnant of the church. I feel like yeah, in order to be a, a beacon of peace and hope for the world around us. Yeah. But. I agree. Yeah, I think the whole, like, speaking your opinion thing all the time, at least from what I've observed, is super connected with this is my right. Mm. Whether I'm, a, I'm speaking an opinion about a right I think I have or I think I should have, or it's my right to speak my opinion. And just a reminder that abandonment or renouncing everything is declaring your abandonment of all your rights. And just living for the sake of the gospel. And if that means being silent, because that is what would speak love and hope and peace. And not to be passive. It's not that. It's different. There's a surrender and a sacrifice and a putting others above yourself and and not stirring up strife. You know, that's just so important. But I, yeah, there... As a wholly chosen, set-apart people, we are to look different than the world around us. 
And because of that, people will be drawn to us. People will also persecute us. But people will be drawn to you. Because there's something attractive about the gospel. Something that we can't create in attractiveness. But just is because we're all made in God's image with this God-shaped hole inside of us that only He can fill. And when people sense something that's filling and full, they want that. Yeah. Even if they don't know what they're looking for. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for joining us this week, uh, listening into the conversation about being a remnant. Uh, I hope that you either did or will check out Haley and Cadence's message. Um, I'm really excited. Just as she was nerding out the first part of the podcast, it was really exciting. So that'll be fun. Anywho, hope you all have an awesome week. Have a great week, everybody. Love you. See ya.